a couple of episodes ago, you guys remember we talked about routines as a way of addressing burnout. And you know, burnout is something that any high-level performer can experience. Um, you know, all of us want to put the effort in to become better if we consider ourselves to be great at what we do, right? We want to, to put yeah. the effort in, but- We want to improve, we want to reach the next level. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think what sometimes we don't realize is that, you know, there's kind of a, a right way and, and a wrong way to do things. And what mental fitness and mental health education can teach you is how to do things like this, you know, high level performance, high level practice and preparation in a way that is healthy and safe and that will yield maximum results, right? Without the side effects, right? Without the, uh, the, the, the unwanted or unintended consequences. Oh yeah. And routine is, is, a, is a way, I think, of kind of developing a skill set, developing greatness, and ultimately preventing burnout and overtraining. Absolutely. Uh, so we're gonna talk about that today. Yeah, with that in mind, we brought in a professional athlete, Ty Buttry, and he's going to tell us all about his routine and how he avoided burnout being drafted straight out of high school, spending almost six years in the minor leagues. He's going to be talking about how he found journaling, meditation, specifically controlling what he can control, and then always relying on his positive outlook, which is a form of gratitude, to get him into the major leagues. Yeah, he's, he's honestly the man. He's like, came on super energetic. He's so excited to come on and talk about anything. He's, he, any, every answer you, look at, you guys will hear, we'll start off with, man, I could talk about this for hours. Yeah, he's a very personable guy. And I think the thing that stood out the most is he keeps a really balanced life, not just solely focusing on the physical aspects of his sport, but also the mental aspects, the mental fitness. And he enjoys himself and he enjoys uh, social media as well. So we're excited to have him. We're excited for you guys to, to hear um, our interview. So 56. Enjoy, guys. And gals. Let's go. We jump in? Come right at you. Do you feel me? Do you feel me? Do you feel me? Definitely changed the game, for sure. Dude, by the way, you, um, you own my New York Yankees. I, saw, I, I looked you up. You've had two games against them. You somehow got off Judge and DD. And I think Gary I Sanchez, too. Dude, big games, man. You got to step it up against the guys. I, uh, no, I went, two and, I went two and two thirds against them when they came out to Anaheim. They came out to you? Yeah. And like I was dealing, and Brad told me I was going back out there for the third inning. I'm like, all right, strap it on. Let's do it. And then freaking threw a 96-mile-hour fastball up and into LeMahieu, and somehow he backsided it to a – He's so good. And score. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what are you supposed to do here? Like, I think that was the one hit the Yanks got off you. And I got – Yeah, games that played. was. You know, we're, we're getting a lot of great sound bites, so I'm just going to go right into the intro. We, <laughs> we're, we're just, we're just going to start off real quick. So, so welcome back to Sports Psych MDs. Tonight – for episode 56, we have a very special guest who is no stranger to success. Ty Buttry was drafted by the Boston Red Sox in the fourth round of the 2012 draft, ahead of current All-Stars like Max Muncy and Ross Stripling. He dealt with injuries in 2014 and finally made his MLB debut in 2018. Currently, 
Ty is a relief pitcher for the LA Angels. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Ty. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me, Ben, and the team. Um, I appreciate everything you guys, you know, reaching out. You guys have been really good with communication and working around my last-minute um, blunder of a life that I have going on right now. So <laughs> don't worry we about could, it. Uh, finally nail this down. Well, we got we got to start you off with uh with our one question we ask all of our guests. What's your hype song? Man, I don't have a hype song. I have a you know. Slow Ride by Foghat. It's always been my like walkout song for pitching. Even it was my my hitting song. I don't know. It's like what like Slow Ride. Like I don't know. It's just I, I I don't listen like I don't listen to the song lyrics. I listen to like the beat and any song that like kind of makes me start like shaking my head a little bit. Like you know I I, I love so anything that lately it's weird because my wife's been doing so much Instagram and TikTok videos. I've been getting on like the whole trap remix like edm like stuff going so i've always been like a big edm fan um and just like house music and stuff but man if i i mean i could list a bunch but i think i think people may judge me a little bit if i start listening off some of these edm like knockoff remixes out there but anything edm related you know that has a cool beat i'm down our our answers have definitely varied from the most extreme to the most extreme, <laughs> so definitely don't worry about it. Okay. We've, we definitely heard some pretty wacky answers, and it just shows everyone has different hype songs. So, yeah. So, Ty, during your rookie campaign, you were electric. If you take out the last two games, you put up 19 strikeouts, 10 hits, and only one run through 15 and one innings. And mm-hmm. as a rookie, how did you handle that pressure, like your first like MLB debut and then going up against big league pitching? Like, how did you get over that mental hump? Well, Spent a lot of time in the minor leagues preparing myself, five and a half years, a lot of failure, a lot of contemplating whether or not baseball is the right job for me, Um, but ultimately listening to myself, voice crack, ultimately listening to myself and just kind of like buying in. Honestly, being, you know, my best friend, my biggest fan, um, I've always been like that my whole life. I've always, even when I was in first grade, when I, the, teacher asked me if I want you know what job I wanted to be was, I you know I think this was actually fifth grade Miss Elkins um shout out this was yeah Miss Elk no Miss Elkins was sixth grade yeah sixth grade um Jane Robinson middle school I asked her you know I told her what I wanted to do and she like pretty much just laughed at me that said you know you will realize that only one percent of the people can make that job. And at that time I was like, when she said that, I didn't run away from that. It almost wanted me, I wanted like more. The the fact that she told me that, you know, I can't do something, that's kind of how I've thrived. And so like, you know, coming up with Boston, not being called up in the big leagues, you know, going through six years, having a great year. I felt like just that debut, it was just, it was pure emotion. Like it was pure, this is who I am. This is what I want to show to everybody. Um, and it was, it was a fight or flight type of, type of mindset. And like you said, like the bigger the moment I wasn't going to lose, you know, I wanted to fight and, you know, it just was, it was, it was different. It was an experience, but ultimately, like you said, that 18 year was pretty cool. Uh, that's, that's awesome. I want to hear more about the grind in the, in the minor leagues. We had a couple minor leaguers on, uh, with us over the summer and, and just knowing that that, that's a, that's a struggle. And I know you were drafted straight out of high school, right? and got a pretty nice signing bonus. But then 
how was it like yep. grinding in the minor leagues for, for five and a half years? I feel like you're drafted in the fourth round and I know the major leagues go into what 70 plus rounds. So you're drafted high up there. So I'm assuming you, you imagine you'd get up to the majors pretty quickly. So what was it like grinding for that long? Yeah. And you know, obviously there's levels of grinding in the minor leagues. Um, you know, there's guys, when you get a nice signing bonus, you know, as a young kid, you think you got the world under, you know, you think you figured everything out. You, you think, you know, everything you walk on, you know, with your chest out and it's just, it couldn't be any, it's just, it's like a whole, it's a whole joke. Like it just isn't how for me, for me, at least, like I kind of thought that initially I was a little bit entitled and then I got punched in the face, I guess you could say by the real world. And, realized there's a lot of good talent out there, a lot of good players. And ultimately, you know, my work ethic and getting back to, you know, what I do naturally, who I am as a person that ultimately kept me through that grind. But man, that grind is something else. I mean, it is, you're on, you, you don't know what to expect coming from high school. I think coming from college, guys are obviously more prepared with, you know, more games um, the politics that comes with baseball, the business side of baseball with scholarships. You know, I was out of high school and I thought I had a lot of things figured out. Um, but the one thing that I guess you could say to talk about the grind, man, it was, it's just, there's not a worse feeling in the world in terms of a baseball player. When you just, you go three innings, you give up 10 runs, you walk four guys and you strike out two. And then you have a 10 hour bus trip from 10 o'clock and you get in at eight o'clock in the morning and then you have another game at seven o'clock that night and that whole 10 hour bus ride, you're worried about whether or not the team's going to promote you or demote you or cut you or release you. And so like, that's when I say the grind, you know, everybody, obviously, you know, there's financial parts of the grind and then there's the physical and the mental toll of the grind and everybody, no matter what, it doesn't matter how much money you have. If you're in the minor leagues, you're on that bus ride you're dealing with the same BS to get to the, you know, the, the MLB. And that's kind of where, you know, I learned a lot about myself. Awesome. So it sounds like you relied on your, your positive outlook that you had. It sounds like from day one yep. and your, and your work ethic to kind of get you through those rough times. Definitely. What was it about that? Uh, the year that you were caught up to the majors, what, what, what was different about that year for you? Was it um, business as usual or did, did you feel like there was a, you know, something about your game that had changed that, that maybe the majors, the guys, of, of, you know, the majors saw that was, that was different. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I really, I had a lot of emotion, kind of like I said earlier. I, uh, my whole life, you know, I played on emotion. I think that's also why um, I've had a lot of inconsistency throughout my career. Not inconsistency, but haven't necessarily found my groove and my, you know, my stride, like I've been feeling lately and kind of in 19 a little bit, you know, I hit that 20 obviously was a little rough, but just given where I'm at now, I mean, that was kind of where I was running off a lot of uh, just wanting to prove to people of who Ty was, you know, I, I wanted to prove to everybody in the world that, you know, I was this really good MLB baseball player from the time, I was in first grade to when I'm now and you know yeah. it was really easy to it was really easy to focus and it was really easy to lock in to the hitter to my pitches I, you know there was nothing it was tunnel vision from day one and um you know that's and it's funny you see that with a lot I feel like 
rookies that come up, you either see them sink or you see them swim. Like, it's not – you don't really see a lot of this, um, like, wow, that's a very average, consistent rookie player. Like, it's either, like, this player excels off the charts or he just flops and then, you know, needs to kind of take his time. And so that's kind of where, I, you know, I felt like I did really, really well. 19 piggybacked off that and had some ups and downs. 20 was a little rough. But, like, you know, this is learning the new process about – you know, now it's in the MLB learning, learning this, you know, how to deal with consistency you hear. Yeah, and I bet. It must have been like the ultimate form of, of validation for you um, when you got that call. Um, what was that like? I mean, were you expecting it? You know, were you, were you kind of at a point where you were like, yeah, I should, you know, I should be the next in line? Or was it a surprise? And, you know, what was that, what was that feeling like? Um, I don't think I should, I don't think I'll say that I should have been this because I think I, I felt like that when I was younger, I felt like, you know, I should be in AAA, I should be in AA, I should be in the major leagues, but ultimately like, that's how everyone feels. You know, that's how every single guy in the minor leagues feels like they should be at the next level. I'm this good. Why doesn't the team see this? And that's where I found myself really kind of just pushing blame off and you know, I'm doing this, um, but why? Um, and that's kind of why I said it was, you know, more emotional when I got called up because like I said, I was wanting to prove so much and I want to prove to this day, like I'm still like that. I still want to show everybody how good I am and I want to be the best reliever in baseball. But, um, that's ultimately like, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling, but yeah. Well, Ty, I, um, I, I hate to bring this up. But um, one thing, one one thing I'm curious about is you, along with pretty much every other baseball player, at some point in the career, you experience pretty polarized halves during the season. You know, in the first half of the season, your career, you have a career 257 ERA, which is I think top 15 amongst uh, pitchers. Mm-hmm. Compared to the second half, not not as great. So after what is this now? Like, this is your third se- third season in uh, in MLB. Yep. What have you learned about like what it takes to maintain the momentum throughout the 162 game season. Cause that itself, like, sorry, having a midseason regression is very common throughout MLB players yeah. because of the long season. So talk to us a little bit about maintaining that momentum. Man, that's, that's, that's good stuff right there, man. I, um, I probably wouldn't have been able to give you an answer until probably now. Like if we would have done this podcast in the past, I would have said, I have no clue or I would have probably given you like a BS answer and said, yeah, that's my answer. But like, honestly, man, like I did a lot of like thinking, I mean, I'm a very, I feel like a very philosophical guy. Um, I like to think, you know, that was kind of like my, kind of my issue growing up was like, I thought too much, you know, kind of overthinking. Um, But, you know, during like this whole process, I've realized that just like, being able to separate kind of where I'm at right now in terms of like how I've, how I've learned to handle these stressful situations. Like I don't necessarily feel like I have anything figured out. I just feel like I'm a lot more prepared in the sense of, you know, I've done, you know, to, to handle consistency, ultimately, you know, you got to handle your emotions, you know, your emotions on the mound, your focus, um, your clarity, you know, your stress. And that's the one thing, like I, I kept looking around and I kept seeing a lot of guys around the league, you know, 
Liam Hendricks, you know, Craig Kimbrell, all these, you know, Mariano Rivera. I mean, you can go down the list between all these amazing Hall of Fame pitchers. And, you know, one thing that's kind of like a common denominator is these guys are stoics. I mean, they're out on the mound and they're the same person every day, you know. They're either a hype guy and getting into it or they're just like, you know, just stone face. And I kind of realized that I had a lot of inconsistencies with like, you know, some emotions and stuff and ups and downs. And I started really buying into the meditation, you know, the journaling. Um, wow. That's so powerful. You know, focusing on, yeah. yeah, controlling on what I can control. And I mean, you know, just positive reinforcements on Instagram, you know, the quote web, the quote handles, you know, following the quotes, the, the trillionaire lifestyle things you see when you're scrolling, like what, like just that daily stuff, man. Like I've been, I've always been a big fan of a lot of just positive minded content, um, daily reminders. And then, like I said, I'm not saying I have anything figured out. I'm not saying this is it. I just kind of learned on how to deal with it on a different way, I guess you could say. Man, we love that. You know, we, we really do. Um, because one of the things that we, we talk a lot about is routine and how important it is for a healthy mind. Um, you know, we mentioned earlier how mental fitness is the way that we brand the, the kind of sports themed and, and athlete themed and performance centric mental health you know, kind of a, a program where it's not so much about disease, right? And having like depression or you know, high level anxiety yep. and, you know, taking a bunch of meds and stuff like that to get by. But it's, you know, these are, athletes are mostly high functioning people. I mean, whether they have some kind of right. depression or anxiety or what have you, they're resilient enough to kind of deal with it and still do what they do. So we kind of want to take it a step further, right? And, and go to this next level of like, all right, well, how do we live with it and still perform at a high level? Yep. Um, and we believe that that requires something different, a different way of thinking about it than your traditional psychiatrist or traditional therapist might, might do. We, we want to look at it like, all right, as, as an athlete, you know, you have a very unique skill set and a very unique lifestyle. Um, how do we make mental health work, you know, right, according to your strategies and your programs. Well, one of the things about athletes is that they're all about routine, mm -hmm. you know, and when you're learning a new skill and you're trying to be great at that skill, you got to practice every day, right? So what we always talked about and always learned growing up is you practice every day. Practice makes perfect. Yep. And that's what's, you know, yep. kind of a, you know, an old adage in terms of performance and greatness, right? It's practice every day. And that's what you're talking about here right now is rather than just being my physical skill set, Right, it's my mental skill set. Right, practicing that every day to 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 be great, and then to pair that with my physical skill set. Right, to have them both working for me. That's what it's about. We love that, dude. I honestly like. I could go on probably an hour based off what you just said and say everything. But like, literally, like think about the world we live in. Like think about the world that teaches you to create this physical appearance. You know, to be strong, to be all this stuff. But like everybody knows that the brain controls everything. I mean, the brain yeah. is the output for it all. So like everyone's like, well, the brain's an organ, you know, or a muscle or an organ. People mm -hmm. don't even know, people don't even know if the brain's anything. They're just like, it's the brain. <laughs> it's like, but you can train it. Like you can train your mindset and you can do things just like you do, you know, in a weight room. But the the thing 
you know, that I, it bothers, and this is like something I was talking to my wife the other day and I'm very passionate about it. It's just like flipping kind of what you guys said at the beginning, this negative stigma that like working on your mental side is considered soft. It's considered weak. It's considered like this guy's, you know, he's searching for stuff. That's, you know, he's searching for answers. You know, those are all the terms and, you know, things that I've heard growing up. And I mean, from day one with the Red Sox, the Red Sox were very early with implementing um, the mental side from the 2013. I mean, they had a full department come on board and um, I bought into it from day one because I'm like, yeah, this is cool. Like, this is going to help me. And I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know these terminologies that these coaches were saying, you know, F it and just, you know, do your thing, be you, you be like these terms, you know, that you hear. I didn't understand them. And then I kind of got through a lot of, you know, experiences in my life. And I started kind of being like, wow, it's, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. So I just, I, I couldn't agree more, man. I, I'm, I'm completely on board with that. Well, one of our big things at Sports Life and Bees is control the controllables. So just to hear someone else, someone from the big league level, <laughs> preach that, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We love that. And, and the journaling and the meditation, those are all different forms of like mindfulness and, and you're becoming more aware of your thoughts, your feelings and how they are connected and connected with your performance, essentially. Do you, just out of curiosity, do you use a specific app or how do you meditate? Yeah. And, and did so, someone teach you how to or is this a journey when uh, on your own? A meditation journey. Um, I'm not, I used to not be very open about it because like you guys said, it was something that was kind of looked down upon, like, you know, and now I'm I'm getting more open and open about it because I just, I realize how much it works. Um, but yeah, like meditation, uh, I had terrible, you know, I had a terrible resting heart rate, terrible, you know, HRV. I've monitored it a little bit through whoop and learned a little recovery side. Oh, yeah. Um, meditation for me was something I use. So I use 10% happier and calm. Oh, yeah. Um, I went about, yeah, Doug white actually, or Alan Jager, three years ago in double a when i was really struggling it's funny when you really really struggle you do the desperate things and so when i started to really really struggle i started to reach out to meditation because i'm like hey this has to work like and that's how ultimately i got to where i was is like i'd hit that wall and i'd be like well let's just do something you know let's do something positive and i did the meditation for a month had an amazing season stopped the season went into the next year, didn't do the meditation because I'm like, whatever, like I got it figured out. Didn't work. You know, two years later, Doug White, who was the pitching coach in 2019, he said, you know, man, a lot of these elite guys, you know, a lot of them are doing, you know, mindfulness and practicing calm and they're, you know, doing their thing. And I said, you know, that's, I want to be elite. Let's do it. And uh, I reached out to Justin Sua with the Tampa Bay Ray, or he was with the Tampa Bay Rays, but he told me to get the 10% happier app. And it was my first kind of dive into the mindfulness. And I did it every day. I did it every day for about 14 months. Um, I missed probably 20, 20 days. Literally, I got the little X. I had like a, I had like a 119 day streak. But the thing is, I didn't do the 30 minutes, you know, everyone, I think a lot of people get burnt off with meditation because they think they have to do an hour, you know, they have to do 30 minutes. And it's like, that's, that's where people get burnt out, man. Like do five minutes, literally do, do one minute, do one minute, then do two, then do two minutes, 30, like just grow really, really slow. Um, 
and I, I just I, I stuck to that. The journaling's always been something I've been doing journaling for probably the last four years, and not even knowing that that was technically a form of mindfulness um, was pretty cool. But like it all, like I said, it just I've been bought into this from day one, and it, it helps. It helps a lot. We're, it's so cool to hear you talk about meditation. And I, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, when I was a kid, uh, and I first heard about meditation and saw it done, it seemed kind of weird for me. You know, it seemed like something that um, would take an adjustment. You know, it almost looks like kind of prayer, like something I saw in church. And yeah, and it just you know, what are you really doing? Talking to yourself. What what does that mean? Or you know, what, what exactly is is this? And I think what we really try to do, because youth uh, and young people are really our, our target, you know, and that's really the community of people that, that we want to, to get to, because, you know, you, you really want to develop these, these skills as a, as a younger person, you know, and then bring them into adulthood so you're already prepared. Um, and what would you say to, to kids who may not kind of understand meditation or, you know, maybe think it's kind of hokey, um, you, you know, in terms of just kind of embracing it and, and accepting it as kind of a, a normal, natural thing? Well, unfortunately, I don't think right now kids are at the point, like I don't think society's at the point that a kid can, you know, meditation or mindfulness is mainstream. So the fact that it's not mainstream, I think people are going to have a hard time buying into it unless they hear, you know, word of mouth, they hear a podcast, they hear a video, they see it, they try it, you know, and that's where it's like, you really got to be open-minded from the get-go and you almost have to, the, the one thing that my pitching coach told me that I'm glad he did, he told me to give it six months. He's like, just give it six months. I was like, geez, six months. Like really six, like, dang. Okay. I was thinking maybe like a month or something. And so I, I almost wanted to do it and to prove to him like, bro, I did it for six months. It doesn't work. And three weeks in was I noticed the first change. I went to a vacation down in St. John's and every time I go on vacations, I'm always like anxious because I feel like I got to work out. I got to do things. And it was a really weird feeling. Like I was sitting on the boat mm -hmm. yeah. and I was really quiet and I was, I wasn't like tapping my leg. I wasn't shaking it. Like I always done my whole life. I was just sitting there and like, everyone was like, Ty, are you good? And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm just hanging out. Like, trust me guys, I'm good. Don't worry about me. Um, and like, my wife was like, Hey, you good? I'm like, yeah. Like, why is everyone worried about me? Like, I'm literally just enjoying, I'm just hanging out for the boat ride. Do I have to jump up and down right now? Like, and so like, for me, like to answer your question, I, I think just having a, honestly, a good mentor, you know, a good mentor that a kid can look up to is in my opinion, the best way to get the message out because it's just not accepted in my opinion right now that I think it's going to take some time. Yeah. I think, I, I do think the tides are turning slowly. I know LeBron he yeah. sponsors that calm app. I, I've used the waking up app by Sam Harris and they actually have specific meditations for kids. It's going to um, explode in the next couple of years. I just, I don't think like I'm a very literal guy. So when you ask me what can kids do now, kids are still, it's still not mainstream, but within three years. Yeah. Like yeah. five years, it's, it's going to be everywhere. Well, it, I, we hope so because the social media it, it can be used uh, against yeah. against being mindful. So the right. meditation can be the <laughs> antidote for that. Right. That's right. So, so Ty, um, we actually we wrapped up the year 2020 with an episode about the importance of roots of a routine. And you know, the two psychiatrists and I, I just completed my graduate uh, my undergraduate degree, 
we got into like the nerdy medical and sciencey specifics about the importance of a routine. Now, starting off 2021, we'd love to hear from an athlete. What do you think is the importance of a routine? And walk us through your routine. Well, I can tell you that a routine is the most underrated word in the dictionary. Um, I think every human needs a routine, literally. I think everyone functions better with a routine. Um, if you're that, and I'll say it, if you're that one weirdo that doesn't need a routine, good for you. I think the majority of people need routines. I've always been, um, I always looked at routines growing up as I don't need that because I can figure it out on my own. And I don't need some, I don't need something that I do every day to make me feel happier. I don't need something every day to do this. I can just do it. And like, you know, I just, that was always my mindset. Like, Oh, I'll just, if I want to change my mindset, I'll change my mindset. And, you know, I realized it wasn't that simple. Um, and so that's actually why I, not why I bought the RV, but um, I don't know if you guys knew, my wife and I have been living in an RV for like the last nine, 10 months. I'm not sure if that, but yeah. So we bought. That's awesome. Yeah, we. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty awesome. There she is right now. Um, and so like a routine, a routine for me was. Um, no, one second, but hold on. Um, a routine for me was always something that like I didn't understand because I didn't have one. Like, you know, I think growing up, um, having set routines is really cool. And I did have it for a little bit, but the minor league grind, you know, the ups and downs, the laziness, the procrastination, <laughs> it just kind of got me out of a whole entire mindset that I needed to stay in. And I, I, I didn't get it. You know, when I was in, when I was in coming up throughout the minor leagues, every coach was, you know, you need a routine, you need this. And um, I didn't understand it. I was like, I routine, like, I'm not going to wake up at seven. I'm not going to go to bed at nine. I'm not going to do fingertip push-ups every single day and do X, Y, and Z. I'm just going to, I'm just going to play baseball. And <laughs> something that the RV, like traveling with Sam, I didn't do it for like a spiritual journey. I just did it because I was tired of living in an apartment. Um, I was tired of, you know, not having the freedom to go and do what I want. You know, everything was shut down and I, I told my wife, I said, listen, let's go travel. You know, let's go travel this country. You know, we can't do anything right now. We have to sit here in our house for Corona. Um, not going down that path. I'm just saying we were sitting there and I was like, let's do something. Let's have fun. And the RV was kind of a spontaneous decision, but it was the best decision we've ever done because it taught us a lot, taught us how to um, be organized, taught us how to um, enjoy a lot more and that having like just having this stressful lifestyle that we had in this RV because it was it was stressful like we were we put our disorganized life in this tiny box and basically just went um so that kind of that's kind of how I learned my routine but like it started with Will Lesnar from the Angels taught me a lot about um you know so every single day like when I come back after throwing you know I take take up my journal I write down kind of my thoughts, um, my awareness, and I move on. But, man, like a routine, dude, I, like I said, guys, I could go on like two hours about talking routine. Like you, you guys understand, like it's a big deal. No, we just want to hear from you know, an athlete, yeah. but, but what's the importance of a routine? Oh, that's great to hear. No, that's really cool. Uh, be before we let you go, um, just walk, talk to us a little bit about playing in front of those empty stadiums this past year. 
Like, what, what was that mentally like? Uh, do you think every all, all the players felt the same way, or was it like at, an athlete-by-athlete athlete case? Um, I can't speak for everyone else. I mean, I can tell you that I think majority of players definitely, definitely, definitely enjoy having fans in the stands. It just was different. The first month felt like baseball. Um, it felt like there was, you know, that adrenaline. And then the last month, you know, it just it started kind of wearing on, I think, guys with, you know, walking out, it's quiet. I mean, it felt like a kind of like a backfield spring training game, honestly. Like, it, as much as you hate to say that, just not having not having those fans there, like, doing, you know, yelling. Sorry, my wife's coughing. She's got bronchitis. I don't know she's she's all right. But yeah, like it was, uh, it it was good. It it was, it was different. I mean, it was it was a cool experience. I learned a lot about baseball, and honestly, I learned a lot about how important. I already knew how important the fans were, man. But like those, those guys just they make they make sports way more fun. Yeah, and you know, it, it, it would seem like having a routine down, one that you can depend on, that you you know really trust. It would be a great thing to have in a situation like. COVID, right, and, and the ways that COVID changed the league and probably changed a lot of the things that you guys had to do as an organization. Mm-hmm. If you have a routine, something you can fall back on, it doesn't seem so bad, right? Yeah. Having a routine enables you to be more flexible, um, enables you to kind of roll with those punches and, yeah. and uh, continue, continue to perform at a high level in spite of those, those changes, so. But I think I also think that there's a there's a stigma with the routine that needs to be brought to people's attention is like this whole forcing, you know, forcing this optimism, forcing positivity, forcing the routine, forcing mindfulness, man, like you can't force it. Like I've tried. I've sat there for years and I've tried to force it. Like I tried every single day saying I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go at this time. I'm going to go to bed at this time. I'm going to brush my teeth here. And like, like I said, I'm a very literal guy. So maybe everyone's idea of a routine is different for me. I just found myself like trying so hard to force this process. And that's where like, you know, I know I kind of went off a tangent about the RV, but like the RV kind of taught me like, just roll with it, man. Like have your, have your agenda, have your things every day. You know, you're going to wake up, you're going to post your reels in the morning. Um, You know, you're going to do your IG thing and then you're going to, you're going to work out you're going to throw, you're going to recover, you're going to help Sam do some Instagram stuff. And then you're going to go back to the house, you're going to, and you're going to do your thing. And it's like, that's a routine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not pulling out like specific little things every single day being like, I have to do this. Focusing on what's important, right? Yeah, focusing on what's important, just recreating those daily habits of what's what matters. Oh, yeah. Love it. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, and simplifying it. You know, if, if it's something that is challenging or it takes a lot of effort, you know, that's, that's not something that, uh, you know, a person's going to want to continue to do for a long period of time, right? It has to be something simple and you can kind of just fit into your process. You know, something that, frankly, is more enjoyable, yeah. you know, an enjoyable experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely enjoyable. You have to enjoy it, man. Yeah. Try. Yeah, the guy I'm actually working with, Ben Strack, um he's really he's out of based out of orange county and he kind of gave me a um a term that i really liked and it's uh try easier and that's something that my whole life i've always tried harder and when i failed 
harder and harder and harder. But, you know, that try easier term is really cool because not trying to sound philosophical, but like you're still trying. The word try is still there. So you're still trying. You're not quitting. You'll never quit. But you just do it easier. You know, you don't try to you just stop forcing it like people try to force it so much. And that's like you're almost doing yourself worse by trying to force it. Mm -hmm. kind of goes back to the con oh yeah work 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 smart yeah. not hard it's just, yeah right? same work thing, smarter, same not thing, harder. yeah focus on what you can control yeah. well well ty we really appreciate having you on um, yeah we hope to uh hopefully they'll let fans in the stadium down at angel stadium in anaheim and maybe we can come down and That'd catch a great. game yeah man yeah. you guys ben's got my number you guys pass my number along i'd love, We'd to, love to stay in touch yeah man. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm all about i'm all about this man so i, I love that you guys are doing this and i'll come on and give you my unnecessary two cents, you know, too long sometimes, but I appreciate you guys reaching out and um, continue doing this because more people need to understand the mental side. Thank you. We appreciate you. Yeah. And keep, keep being a good ambassador for mental health. I think you're, you're going to help a lot of people. Sure. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Guys. Thank you. All right, man. Take All right. Care. Well, Ty. All right, man. Take care. Sorry about being late. Yeah, no worries. Go angels. Fly with everything. Yes, sir. See ya. That's cool. That was a good interview, guys.